0: Hi, welcome to A Look Behind and Rewind. I'm your host, Tom Nielsen. Now here's the question of the day. Where do you live? If you're like 82% of your fellow Americans, then you probably live in a city or some other urban area. If you're not, well, then just stay tuned anyway, friends, because you might learn something. So get out your blue books and your marble composition pads and hunker down for some heavy-duty classwork. There will be a quiz, so stay alert. Oh, no! I used to know a guy at school who grew up right in the middle of New York City. Actually, it was the rough-and-tumble neighborhood known as Hell's Kitchen. It was a pretty rough place back then in those days. So my friend, I'll call him Stan, used to complain that there was too much grass on campus. And I don't mean the wacky tobacco kind. I mean, acres and acres of nicely manicured lawns that were tastefully situated between all the classroom buildings. Every once in a while, Stan would say that he just had to get off campus, go downtown and feel some real concrete under his feet. Well, I don't know why he felt that the sidewalks on campus didn't qualify as real concrete, but that was Stan. As for me, I grew up in the suburbs but my hometown was only a short bus ride away from New York City, so I had the best of both worlds. And being able to travel to the city fairly often, either by myself or with my old man, gave me a real appreciation for the pleasures of urban life. Some of my first adventures involved going to downtown Manhattan, in the vicinity of Canal Street, to a quaint little section called Pushcart Alley. My old man loved to go there and browse all the different shops, many of which specialized in either electronic parts and components, or distressed goods and overstock items, many of which probably fell off a truck somewhere on the old New Jersey Turnpike. For him, it was sort of like an early version of garage sales and yard sales. He was always on the lookout for a real bargain, and many of these dirty, dusty, overcrowded pushcart alley shops gave him exactly that. Like the early hunter-gatherers of caveman days, he would always come home with a big smile on his face, having braved the big city and bagged some new gadget or doohickey, or maybe even carted home a bunch of exotic canned goods or European-style imported biscuits. On one trip, he bought me my very first reel-to-reel tape recorder. <laughs> Remember those? That's a story for another day. Needless to say, this particular recorder was almost an exact copy of the one they always used on Mission Impossible to give Mr. Phelps his impossible mission. And do you remember the closing words? As always, should you or any of your I.M. force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Well, as luck would have it, my tape recorder didn't self-destruct. That was probably a good thing, because I wouldn't be talking with you here today if it had. Well, anyway, Pushcart Alley was just one of many adventures in the big city, and they weren't all in the Big Apple, either. As I got older and traveled around for work or vacations, I got to experience firsthand quite a number of different places, like Los Angeles, San Francisco, Denver, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Las Vegas, Savannah, Philadelphia, Toronto, Canada, and many more. Some people like to head to exotic getaway locations like Hawaii or the Bahamas. I guess I've always liked exploring the busy boulevards and quaint side streets of cities. There's a kind of cosmopolitan air, a diverse, multicultural environment that I've always found stimulating, and that's continued through the years up to this very day. In fact, just recently, I had the pleasure of rediscovering the scenic main drag of Hoboken, New Jersey. Who needs to visit the Upper East Side of Manhattan? Washington Street in Hoboken, with its many shops, restaurants, clubs, and other amenities, is every bit the perfect alternative. And when it comes to New England, Boston is one of my favorite tourist destinations. My first experience there was years ago when the old man, my Aunt Mary, and I went out to visit my cousin at MIT. We went out for lunch together at some waterfront restaurant on the Charles River. The meal was so enormous that when it came time for dessert, I didn't even have enough room left for their famous Boston cream puff. Boy was I bummed. It's the first time in my life that I couldn't finish dessert. Years later, I returned to Boston on another getaway. This time we stayed at a bed and breakfast in the Back Bay District. It's an elegant brownstone four-floor walk-up. And we were on the top floor. But more about that later. Like most visitors, we did all the touristy things, like checking out the old ships in Boston Harbor, including the one where they staged the Boston Tea Party, seeing the grave of Benjamin Franklin's family in the burying grounds on Tremont Street, going to the North End to sample pizza and cannolis and check out the Paul Revere house. And when we got to the neighborhood where they actually filmed the famous Prince Spaghetti commercial, my traveling companion just couldn't resist yelling out like that old Italian grandmother, Anthony! (laughs) To our great disappointment, little Anthony didn't come running to answer our call. Eh, It must not have been Wednesday, Prince Spaghetti Day. (laughs) Either that or... He wasn't hungry, but we did get a lot of angry stares from local residents. And although we did make use of the sightseeing trolleys, we also had a rather full day of walking around Boston on foot, following the Freedom Trail and stopping at other scenic points of interest, like Boston Comet where they keep their famous swan boats, or the Frog Pond wading pool. Or the Massachusetts State House on Beacon Hill, with its golden dome shining in the sun like a beacon of liberty. Or the shops at Faneuil Hall, the biggest and best food court I've ever encountered. Later in the day, we were scheduled to meet up with one of our friends from Cleveland, who was also in town that day. And after a really full day of walking all over creation, we got smart and hopped on one of the trolleys to meet up with her. Since she was already familiar with many of the attractions in town, she had the idea of going out to dinner at a well-known local establishment in the Waterfront District, a place called the No Name Seafood Restaurant. (laughs) I kid you not, that's what the locals actually called it. It was a rather unpretentious, mom-and-pop kind of restaurant, surrounded by warehouses on either side of it, but with a fantastic view of the harbor. And we had a really great dinner consisting of deep-fried scallops, breaded flounder, french fries, and coleslaw. You know, the usual seafood delicacies. (laughs) Well, as the evening wore on, we finally decided to call it a night and go our separate ways. My companion and I were all set to head home to the back bay, but that's when we had a shocking moment of reckoning. Now, I should explain. This all took place over 30 years ago, back when Boston hadn't yet become the big tourist spot that it is today. So the waterfront district hadn't yet been taken over by fancy restaurants and nightclubs. In those days, it was still mostly warehouses, docks, and other buildings used by fishing fleets and other industrial businesses. And like any other warehouse district, it wasn't very well lit at night. And worst of all, public transit was virtually non-existent. The tourist trolleys had stopped running by that hour, and we were forced to walk all the way, dragging ourselves through the streets of downtown Boston to our accommodations in the back bay and doing it all on foot. After we'd already had a full day of walking everywhere in town. Well, we finally arrived back at our brownstone, totally exhausted with our feet feeling like they were literally on fire. I never realized just how out of shape I was until that very moment when reality set in. We still had four flights of stairs to climb to get to our room. And so we began our grueling climb to the top of Mount Everest. One step at a time. But I have to tell you, after all that walking, by the time we reached the fourth floor, I was literally crawling on my hands and knees. We opened the door to our suite and then simply collapsed on the sofa. So, my friends, when it comes to having the feel of real concrete beneath your feet, there is such a thing as having too much of a good thing. Unless, of course, you're a regular at the Boston Marathon. In that case, just keep walking and And walking walking. and And walking walking. and And walking walking. and walking and walking. You've been listening to A Look Behind and Rewind. I'm Tom Nielsen. See you next time. Hi, this is Tom Nielsen. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're invited to hear more of our episodes at A Look Behind and Rewind. And feel free to share our link with friends, family, and others, as well as following us on Buzzsprout.com, Apple, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts.